Promotional consideration for Growing Greater Philadelphia provided by Citizens Bank, Drexel University, and the General Building Contractors Association. This is Growing Greater Philadelphia, bringing you the stories of economic growth, job creation, and business success from across the 11-county community of Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania. Now, here's Matt Gabry. And welcome into Growing Greater Philadelphia. You know, when we put these programs together, we try to shape them around a theme or a storyline. And today's theme is perfect for Greater Philadelphia. It's reinvention. Joining me today from WPHT and business radio host, Dan Loney. Dan, thanks for being here. Matt, as always, great to be with you here to talk about the Greater Philadelphia region. You mentioned reinvention. When you think about the history of this city, going all the way back to the days of Benjamin Franklin, he was a great inventor. As we have moved through the history of the city, it has constantly had to reinvent itself to get ready for the next generation. And one of the things I love about this region is we are known as a region and a city of first. There's so many firsts here with first hospitals and schools and the, the first fire department and my favorite, the first school of pharmacy right here in greater Philadelphia. And it makes it even more exciting to be in this city and see these changes happening day by day, especially when you're talking about companies that sometimes take commonplace products and then they adapt them for the new economy. And we had a chance to speak with two business leaders who are doing just that. They're reinventing. But you know, Dan, most business stories, they don't have that aha, lightning bolt kind of moment. We both, I think, were kind of impressed by the other. And then when we sat down eventually to talk, that's when, you know, the light bulbs really went off. This is not one of those stories. Brian Powell, a serial entrepreneur connected with Sam Ebert, a passionate bicyclist and mechanic who loved to work on bikes. They're co-founders of the Junto Bicycle Works. Junto is, um, you know, everything about this company uh, kind of ran through Philadelphia. And uh, the Junto Clubs were formed by Ben Franklin when he moved from Boston to Philadelphia. Um, It started as the Leather Apron Club. And it was mostly printers, but then it expanded and it was, you know, they talked about philosophy and politics. And a lot of people say, you know, in the taverns of Philadelphia, as uh, these juntos were occurring, and junto in Spanish means gathering together, that it was the precursor of the revolution. So these guys, the, the smartest kids in the city, the smartest guys in the city were getting together and talking about taxation without representation and, and the like. So it was... Uh, that's the genesis of what we're trying to build here. And, you know, it's more than a bike company. It's going to be a community. We want to really rally around the brand. We want to rally around mobility. We want to rally around a greener, more verdant future. We want to rally around getting rid of cars, uh, you know, avoiding traffic, getting healthier and getting more engaged with your community. Uh, When you're out on a bike, you're, you know, you're pretty mindful. You know, you're worried about what's in front of you. It's just you're living in the moment each time you pedal, which is even more healthy than, than just the exercise part of it. Talk a little bit about your vision for the company, and specifically, it's not the bicyclist you're trying to replace, if you will. No. Um, so, so talk me through you a little bit more well, about your team's thinking my, around that. You know, uh, e-bikes were pretty popular in Europe, 
They were founded in Japan. All over, they're all over Asia. They just never made it here. And when I, f I, I first saw one uh, in um, uh, in Cape May, and uh, I was riding my bike, and some big guy just flies by me, and I, I whistled. And he stopped, and I started talking to him, and I got on the bike. And I, you know, I talked him into it. I'm like, can I have a ride? And he said, yeah, why not? And uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to use this word on radio, but I, I, the, the first two words out of my mouth were... Yeah, you actually can't say that on the radio. So let's just say it was a holy cow moment. Junto has a workshop in the Kensington neighborhood of Philadelphia. And while we expected a bike company to have a really frenetic office setting... It was actually really relaxed. Obviously not a corporate setting. Here's more of Brian sharing with us his first experience on an e-bike. I, I, I was just, you know, I was obsessed by it. It, it. This thing happened to me. So I just figured out, you know, I've, I've been doing this for a long time. It's a good thing I'm not a young man. I may have gotten frustrated by this. But I, I figured out a lot of ways to, to expedite the process, to really... Uh, jumpstart this thing. I've been at it now for 18 months. We just did a soft launch in uh, December, uh, and we're going to do our, our, our big launch in March. Okay, so you have the idea, and you have the interest, but how do you turn that into creating and selling a product? Sam Ebert tells us how. We needed a proof of concept, right? We needed to raise awareness and funding, and most people don't know what an electric bike is. Bottom line, the wonderful thing about electric bikes is that the second you get on one, you know exactly what it is, and it's awesome. It makes you feel super strong. So I took a frame. I found a frame that was close to the geometry and kitted it out with a uh, online purchased e-bike motor and battery and made a few uh, structural changes to it to to compensate for the extra power essentially going through this frame and uh, repainted it, rebranded it, passed that over to Brian. He shopped it around with some friends who were looking to get into something cool and we got funded and we got straight to work. We were already at work. I mean, I don't even want to think about how much time we've all put into this at this point. It's a good thing, but it's it. Forty-hour weeks were not uh, were not real at that point in time. Yeah, we're um, talking seventy, eighty-hour weeks. Yeah. Yep, yep. And, and I and, and I wasn't I wasn't we weren't self-sufficient yet. So right. Brian is doing everything he can to facilitate me and Mike, our, my colleague, uh, being able to do this at night, essentially, yep. while we keep our day jobs. Yeah. And that's another reason that this happened is is Brian understood. Um, yeah, we're 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 young millennials, fresh out of college. We don't really have money to put into this, but man, do we have time, and we're willing to do it. So he just helped us let that happen. And there's so much more that you can hear with Junto Bikes in the full interview online at 1210WPHD.com slash select. And coming up, can a young startup reinvent themselves in order to stay competitive in this fast-paced tech industry? Our next guests are doing just that. 
gross regional product of 420 billion, Greater Philadelphia is in the top three among all metropolitan areas of the northeastern United States. To learn more about the regional economy, visit selectgreaterphl.com. This segment of Growing Greater Philadelphia is brought to you by Drexel University. Drexel University is one of the 15 largest private universities in the United States with over 24,000 enrolled students. Learn more about Drexel University at drexel.edu or call 215-895-2000. This is a citizen's perspective on planning for retirement, also known as the five stages of grief. Presented by me, Tony Goes, Premier Relationship Manager at Citizens Bank. When it comes to helping my clients, like Dave here, plan for retirement, I get this a lot. First comes denial. Not worried. Definitely not worried. I've got plenty of time and money. Then anger. What was I thinking? Why didn't I start saving more years ago? Then fear. What am I going to do now? This is bad, right? Right? Then comes bargaining. Okay, how about this? Here's an idea. What if I start saving more next year? Then finally, acceptance. Maybe we should get started. I can help take the grief out of planning for retirement. Ask me, Tony Goes, how a Citizens Retirement Checkup can help you reach your potential. Citizens Bank is a brand name of Citizens Bank NA and Citizens Bank of Pennsylvania, member FDIC. Citizens Bank Wealth Management is comprised of both bank and brokerage affiliated companies. Development projects are revitalizing the future of Greater Philadelphia's neighborhoods, towns, and cities. And you can learn more when you join the Select Greater Philadelphia team at their annual program, Breaking Ground, Projects Transforming Greater Philadelphia. This dynamic gathering offers an exclusive look at projects across Delaware, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania that will flourish well after the ribbons have been cut. Join them Thursday, May 31st, 2018 from 8 to 10.30 a.m. at Rowan University in Glassboro. Register today at Select Greater PA. HL.com slash events. The business attraction organization whose mission is to grow the economic vibrancy of our collective community by attracting new businesses and new jobs to our region. Learn more at selectgreaterphl.com. Welcome back. You know, at Select Greater Philadelphia, we focus on the 11 county neighborhood of northern Delaware, southern New Jersey, and southeastern Pennsylvania. And that's one of the reasons we're so thrilled to be focused on a company in Wilmington called GeoSwap. And inside today's theme being reinvention, what would you do if you started a company and then you found out it was going to be something totally different? It's kind of funny how we switched what we were doing, but still the end result is that people kind of get that exposure to what's going on around them regardless it's just in a different medium whether it's through an advertisement or through another company's kind of event feed that was keith doggett co-founder of geoswap and they are one of those kinds of stories starting their business and realizing that they should be solving an entirely different problem jason bamford keith's co-founder of geoswap explains how they shifted their focus the new, so we have a new business model now. So we've recently changed from a little while ago. Um, so now we're really focused on creating this giant database of events. So we created these web crawlers, kind of similar to Google, that they can go on, they crawl the internet, they land on web pages, and they can pull the events from all these HTML pages. So now we have this giant database of events, everything from yoga in the park, what's happening at the big stadiums down in South Philly. Um, and then we sell it to advertising companies who want to target people that go to events. 
um, social apps who want to you know have an events page somewhere in their interface. Um, so now we're licensing out these events for, for different for different needs. Um, but before that, we were a mobile app that aggregated all the events in an area, and we kind of realized that our secret sauce was these web crawlers that we had. So how's that different from everything in one kind of geographic area to where you are now with your business business model? Is it does it give you more space, if you will, mm-hmm. to cover? Yeah, it does. It doesn't necessarily. So with the, when we had the mobile app, we were kind of refined to just where we wanted to advertise the mobile app in. So we were very focused in Delaware, a little bit of Philadelphia, a little bit of New York City, uh, where we wanted people to download the app to see what was going on. We, we still have the app and we're still using it. Um, but now that we've kind of shifted our focus a little bit, it allows us to expand our web crawlers ac- across the continental United States. So now we can have a huge breadth of events uh, still with that same granularity, but allows us to expand pretty much all across the United States for people who want to have access to this you know, event database. Take us back to, um, you know, kind of the conception phase. You know, how did you come up with the idea for this um, approach to, um, I guess, really aggregating information that allows people to engage in different events? So it started with the idea of geofencing digital content. And this is back when we had the app. And we didn't necessarily have... uh, a specific plan for this technology. We just thought it was like a cool application. Imagine like uh, you go to a, a, sh- a show and you can get, uh, you can buy tickets or clothes right on your phone. So geofencing digital content in physical locations was the initial idea. And then when Keith and Jordan jumped on the team, we kind of found out that a unique application to this could be showing people what's going on in your area, uh, like food specials. You show up to the restaurant, and you can unlock a coupon. Uh, you go to a sporting event, and you can like, you can get more information about it. So now we kind of started going the events direction. And then with the app, we started developing these web crawlers. And that's kind of how they started to transform um, from the mobile app into just being really really heavy on these web crawlers that can pull these unstructured events from web pages. Um, so it kind of transitioned out as a necessity for what the app was doing, um, but it wasn't necessarily the, the direct you know, initial product. Talk a little bit about how you went from you know this, this idea mm-hmm. uh, to the process of coming up with a name mm-hmm. and launching yeah, uh, and, sure. and really generating revenue. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, definitely a long process. So I was fortunate enough to work um, in a private a private equity company going into my junior year. Um, so I, I, worked, I worked in it sophomore into my junior year. And at the end of that, I was able to pitch them on this idea of geofencing digital content and the initial concept of GeoSwap. Um, and they really liked it. They saw a lot of potential there. So they... They jumped on board. They invested into the company, and that allowed us to get our initial product on the gr- off the ground. At that point, I didn't have Keith, who's an amazing developer, or Jordan, so it was really just myself. Um, it allowed us to get an initial product, and from there, we started doing a lot of customer discovery interviews, kind of figuring out what people wanted, morphing the app, um, and then we got involved with the University of Delaware's Horn Program, or uh, Horn Entrepreneurship, rather, excuse me, <laughs> and they, they really just kind of kicked us in overdrive, put us in overdrive. Um, they brought us into a program called the Summer Founders, which is where Jordan and Keith uh, met, my, met myself uh, and became a part of GeoSwap. And that's where we really went out into the market and kind of figured out what problems we could really solve with this technology, see who really wanted it, determine how much they were willing to pay for something like this. And that's what really kind of kicked it up into a business as opposed to just an idea. So, University of Delaware's Horn Entrepreneurship Program. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk with us a little bit more about that and how you saw the GeoSwap opportunity as kind of a catalyst to where you are today. Yep. So, Horn Entrepreneurship is this entrepreneurship program at the University of Delaware. It 
was around, I guess, since my freshman year, but they really revamped it starting the winter that year, and they got their own building off campus that they owned, and it's not technically university-owned, uh, and just like a really nice co-working space where students can go, uh, and Jordan was really interested into that. I actually wasn't super interested in entrepreneurship when I came into the university, um, but after my freshman summer, I became more interested in it after having an internship. So I started going there a lot more with Jordan. Uh, and then our sophomore year, we had started working on a project that was basically uh, STEM coursework help. So we were finding that a lot of our friends were dropping out of the major. And our suspicion was that they didn't really have a lot of practice. Uh, so that's kind of what we were working on was just a big database of practice problems. And that kind of we got more involved with the Horn program through that. And then eventually into the Summer Founders program, our junior summer, which is where Jason also was working on GeoSwap. Uh, and then we had basically had one of the finance professors sit down with us and like go over our numbers and say, like, this is never going to work, uh, which we agreed. So then we were looking at other options to do. And we had known Jason from years before uh, and seen what he was doing and thought it was really interesting. So we joined with him and then kind of formalized the company from there. I had been working on it since then. So your business plan, if you will, and your conceptualization was really built at the Horn School of Entrepreneurship at the University of Delaware. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Definitely a lot of what we know. Most of what we know is from there and a lot of the interactions we have with entrepreneurs, whether it's other students or people that are alumni of the university or just connected with the university came through there. Uh, and it was huge in teaching us, I mean, or, you know, how to do sales and like come up with a business model and just like pretty much everything that you never really think about. Like you can come up with the idea, but then actually getting it out to something that's a real product. They, uh, yeah, they've been so helpful. Keith and Jason also spent some time reminiscing about how they first met and their experiences at the university of Delaware. And it's all online now at 1210wphd.com slash select. And coming up, is there a textile revolution happening in the greater Philadelphia region? Our next guest is helping to reinvent everyday fabrics. With a workforce of just over 3 million people, Greater Philadelphia is the sixth largest region in the country for employment. Learn more about what's driving growth at companies large and small in the Greater Philadelphia region at selectgreaterphl.com. This segment of Growing Greater Philadelphia is brought to you by Stradley Ronan, a proud investor of Select Greater Philadelphia Council. Stradley Ronan has been recognized as one of the region's top mid-sized companies for charitable giving, volunteer opportunities, and philanthropy to benefit Greater Philadelphia. Learn more about Stradley Ronan at stradley.com or call 215-564-8000. NBC10 and Select Greater Philadelphia are proud to partner on the Growing Greater Philadelphia television program. Watch stories of economic development and business success from across the 11 counties of Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania at NBCPhiladelphia.com slash news slash growing greater Philadelphia. Independence Blue Cross, a proud sponsor of the Select Greater Philadelphia Council. Independence Blue Cross is the largest health insurer of the Philadelphia region, serving more than 2.5 million people locally and 8.5 million people in 23 states and Washington, D.C. Learn more about Independence Blue Cross at ibx.com. Select Greater PHL.com for stories of our collective community and the mission of Select Greater Philadelphia to grow the economic vibrancy of our region. This is Growing Greater. Philadelphia. And welcome back. 
Our theme of the day is reinvention. And Matt, sometimes people forget how important manufacturing has been to the history of the city of Philadelphia. That's right, Dan. It's really at the core of our community, and especially the manufacturing of textiles here in the city and across the 11-county region. It kind of sort of feels like a throwback at times to an industrial era, but with the leaps in technology today, it may be one sector that is actually on the uptick. To see the history and to want to bring back manufacturing of textile and to tap into the history to help us get and have the energy to rebuild it is something that's really exciting to me. Jean-Vierre Dion is the founder of the Shimaseki Hot Tech Lab and director of Drexel University's Center for Functional Fabrics. So what sort of background could possibly prepare you for work in smart textiles? Jean-Vierre explains. I have been at Drexel for a little over 11 years now at the Westfall College of Media Arts and Design. I am an industrial designer by training and a fashion designer by practice. And up to the time that I came to Drexel, I was a practicing fashion designer. And um, I came at Drexel 11 years ago uh, to really try to start a research program in smart textile and functional fabrics. Uh, So we started on this particular research agenda about 10 years ago, and uh, five years ago now, we uh, uh, started a partnership with an industrial knitting machine company called Shimaseki. And with that company, we started at the time uh, what we called the Shimaseki Hotech Lab, where we are looking to figure out how we can produce and make um, at scale uh, functional textiles. So fast forward in that history, uh, two and a half years ago, uh, we started the Center for Functional Fabric, which is really focused on trying to understand and solve issues in manufacturing of functional textile that are also called uh, smart textile, e-textile. There's a whole bunch of names that goes with uh, functional textile, functional fabrics. This is a Shimaseki, what we call the mini. No space is wasted inside the overly efficient tech lab on Drexel University's campus. The constant hum of machinery in their workshop, that was the backdrop for our tour. Even more so, the natural light that really engulfed every corner of that shop floor. It's primarily a machine for gloves, hats, socks. But with all the various projects, materials, and manufacturing happening on site, what is Jean-Vierre Dion most looking forward to for the future of smart fabrics? I think, for me, what excites me the most has moved beyond project. It's... um, It's more about really thinking about how we're going to bring manufacturing back to this country, how we're going to excite the next generation to be makers again and to really want to be innovators. So what's really exciting is when you see the teams of people coming to work together, really being excited about innovation, but also wanting to to make and starting to have that passion to get something done. And that passion informs their learning, their ability to create the tools that they need in order to make it happen. 
and really not to be afraid to innovate or to try something. It's just to remove the boundaries that we typically see with making. So I think one great example this summer, we had a group of really young students and they came to me and they say, we know we need to do all of this characterization and this analyze of the textile and we simply don't have the skill set to do it. And my answer to them is, you can't say you don't have the skill set. You have to say, how am I going to acquire the skill set that I need in order to do this? Because we all start at a point where we don't know something. So what we love to do in the lab is push people to learn to learn. And once you know how to do that, then you don't have boundaries. And let's drill down a little bit on that. Can you give us some examples of what a functional fabric actually is or something that, you know, the average person might be able to say, oh, I get it. So there's a lot of example out there. So functional textile are basically fabric that have been engineered to perform a specific function. So uh, you can think about uh, the textile that we wear every day, that's one of the easiest example. Of course, they have a particular function of covering ourselves, etc. But they don't have functionality in them like our smartphone does. So if you want to think about functional fabric, you can think about fabrics that become a device, the device itself, right? So what would it be like to be able to have your um, shirt monitors you. So there's a few now that are coming to market of these types of textile who are now engineered to really being these devices that you can wear every day and really kind of monitor your health, etc. They could be other textile that are, you know, embedded in carpets uh, that can sense your gait and the way that you walk. Um, they can be textile that can harvest energy. So really starting to think about adding functionality into the textile, turning a textile into a service, basically. And if you'd like to hear more of the interview with Jean Vievre or any of our interviews today, go online to 1210WPHD.com slash select. Growing Greater Philadelphia is presented by Select Greater Philadelphia, a council of our Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia. Select is the business attraction organization for Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania. We focus on growing the economic vibrancy of our collective community by attracting new businesses and new jobs to our community. Special thanks to our investors and our partners who believe in our work. And a special thanks to producers Elena Carmazan and Mari Salawares, and our writer Samara Grizel, and our researcher Steve Boucher. Learn more at selectgreaterphl.com and tune in to our podcast on 1210WPHT.com slash select. Thanks, and join us next week.